0: Well, this morning, if you have your Bible, John 4 is where we're going to go, John chapter 4, to a very familiar uh, passage of Scripture. We're going to begin in verse 27. John 4 it, it is an amazing moment that I believe correlates with a lot of what we, we happen to be experiencing uh, in this region. You know, a lot of people are, are fleeing the big cities and trying to find more rural areas. If you've arrived in the last uh, couple of years to this place that has more trees than people, welcome to heaven, okay? Uh, just don't mess it up, okay? Don't mess it up, all right? Um, so uh, a lot of people are saying, man, there's, there's just too much going on in the city. I, I want to find something more rural, and I, I want to move there and make a life. I, heard, I actually heard a... Uh, a story about a city slicker said that's it I'm done with corporate life I'm done with with living that kind of life and I am going I'm, I'm gonna buy a piece of property and I'm gonna become a farmer and that's what he did <laughs> bought a piece of land said I'm gonna be a farmer and so he goes and uh, gets gets all settled and the land goes down to the local feed store and he goes and asks the guy he says I want to buy a hundred little chicks from you I want to buy a hundred little chicks so he says okay he sells them little chicks and, uh, and then the next, next week he goes back to the guy and says, listen, I need to buy 200 chicks from you. He goes, well, oh, wow, okay, great. And he sells him 200 chicks. The third week he goes back, he says, I need 500 chicks. And this guy says, listen, I gotta hear about what you're doing. Man, you, you must be doing really, really well. And he says, completely the opposite. I'm doing horribly. I can't figure out How deep to plant these things and how far apart they should be. (laughs) Listen, do not email me. I won't answer it. (laughs) It's a joke, people. It's a joke. We're not killing, there were no chickens harmed in the making of this sermon, okay? But. You know, I feel like a lot of times when people start uh, start to say yes to God's plan for their life, and they're like, okay, I'm going to step into this new arena. It's a world I don't know much about. Uh, we feel like we're becoming a farmer and we're planting chickens. We don't know really how to get to God's plan for our life. And after, you know, last week we hear a message all about Jacob about how how he really stepped into God's plan for his life. Well, I wanna I wanna tell you today that in a familiar passage in John chapter four, I believe God is going to give us uh some some tips, some some strength, some some pointers to each one of us about how we can step into God's plan for our life. Today, I want to speak a message to you called Hungering for the Harvest. Hungering for the Harvest. Now, I, I want to I give this disclaimer in the very beginning, and that is simply this. You may have read John chapter 4 hundreds of times. As a devoted follower of Christ, all of us get through the first four chapters or five chapters before we keep stop reading the Bible, right? So you've read that. Why are you nodding? You're not supposed to elbow your neighbor. You know, you got that far. All of us get to that place, and so you may have heard this story from John chapter 4, but do me a favor today. Don't prejudge. Don't check out. I believe God's got a word for you, and if we will actually lay hold of these simple principles, you think we've got a space problem now. We're about to have an immense space problem if we will just simply do and live these simple principles of hungering for the harvest and stepping into God's plan for our life. I don't know if you know this, but God has a plan for your life. It's a glorious plan. Now, John chapter 4, beginning in verse 27, says this. And at this point, his disciples came. We'll talk a little bit about what happened before this point. And they marvelled that he talked to a woman and said, uh, and, and yet no one said, "What do you seek? Or why are you talking to her?" The woman then left her water pot, went away into the city, and said to the men, "Come, see a man who told me all the things I ever did. Come, this it, could this be the Christ?" Then they went out into the city and came to him. In the meantime, everybody say, "In the meantime." There's a, let me give you another common way of saying in the meantime. You might also say at the same time. So there are two things happening at once. Very important that you understand that if you're going to get what God is doing in this passage. So in the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this saying is true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. Now listen, this is happening at the same time. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, And he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his own word. And then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you have said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of The world. Now, this is a wonderful passage. There's a lot to glean uh, from this, but it's very important that you see a connection between the message I shared last week called Limping into Destiny about a man named Jacob and this story. It's very important that you understand that Jacob. What did he do to step into God's plan for his life? He got alone with God. He wrestled with God. He received from God. He he received a new title, and he received a fresh touch. And then he began to walk in God's plan for his life. Well, let me just tell you, this secret place encounter that Jacob had set the stage for John 4. Because this whole scene happens at Jacob's well. This whole scene unfolds because Jacob wrestled with God, began to walk differently, listen, and dug a well where no one else would dig it. He dug a well in a place that was dry. No one could live there because there was no way to truly sustain life there. So Jacob, living out God's plan for his life, did something practical. He dug a well. But make no mistake that when you are living out God's plan and you do something practical, it probably is setting the stage for Jesus to use it in a powerful way. 900 years later. Can you imagine that the plan that you lived out for God 900 years later it's still delivering it's still something that God could use come on let's let's boil it down in 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 a way that perhaps we could we could grasp it what if we did something today that 5 years from now man someone else says boy someone laid a foundation a few years ago and I stepped into it i prayed a prayer i reached out to somebody 5 years ago What if 10 years from now, somebody is drinking from a well, from from a life well-lived following Jesus? I believe this is the kind of idea that will actually make you hungry to live God's plan. There really is no other way to live your life than to live God's plan for your life. Now, Jesus uses a term. And gives us a terminology based upon uh, the location. Quite possibly being near uh, the, the 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 fields which were to be harvested a, a little while later, he begins to use a terminology and name people who follow God's plan as harvesters. These are people who live out God's plan for his life. And he uses this analogous way of of identifying who they are. And I'm going to use that terminology today to help you to understand that God has a plan for you. And there is a legitimate, simple way you can step into it. First thing I want you to see from this passage is, is that harvesters are nourished. Harvesters are nourished. What did Jesus say? He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, John four thirty four. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. I want to make this statement to you today. If you're going to be a person who lives God's plan, who allows God to remove yesterday's label, who allows, he says, no longer am I going to be liar, deceiver, supplanter, one who pushes other out of the way to get, get ahead in life like Jacob did. No longer am I going to be this person, that person that receives God's title, that walks differently because of his touch on your life. You are going to have to say to yourself, I will be nourished if I do what God says. Let me make this statement to you, church. I don't care how many notebooks you have, filled with notes, filled with sermons. I don't care how many podcasts you listen to. If you don't do it, you'll be malnourished. You'll be, he said, my food is. My nourishment is found in the doing. I'm not sure that we understand malnourishment in this nation. We really don't. There's an abundance of food. But a few years ago, I went to visit uh, Pastor Carl and Megan when they were in Swaziland. And we helped to feed these children who had an orange tint in their hair, not because they had dyed it, but because they, had, they didn't have the necessary vitamins. They didn't have the necessary nourishment. Their little bellies were distended, not for the reason our bellies are distended. <laughs> their bellies were distended because they had no food. They were malnourished. It affected the way that they looked. It affected the way that they lived. And I want to just tell you, Church. I believe that that many people in the church actually believe a lie. And here's the lie: that if I really live God's plan for my life, I'll be malnourished in this world. We actually believe. What if I really live for God? Will he really come through f- for me? Will I really be satisfied? Will I really have a sense of, wow, this is why I'm on this planet, or am I just going to be the weirdo, the outcast, no one will talk to me, I'll have no friends, I'll have no life? Yeah, and, and, and immediately, I think many people have felt that inward wrestling match, and I want to tell you, Jesus said, the most nourished people on the planet are the ones who have abandoned their plans and are are walking in God's plans they're nourished when the tempter came to to get Jesus out of God's plan for his life this is what he said in Matthew chapter 4 if you are the son of God command these stones to become bread but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Listen, he, he, he's saying, okay, there's a lot of question marks here about who you are. Satan doesn't know who he is. He says, if you're the son of God, if you're the son of God, if you're really who God says you are, you, you're, you're hungry, turn the stones into bread. God's plan for Jesus in the desert wasn't to turn stones into bread. God's plan for Jesus in the desert was to ready him for the public pronouncement that God's only son had come to earth to bring the whole world into an age of grace. It was not to make bread. Here's what he said. He said, man shall not live by bread alone alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He said, I got my instructions from God and that's what's nourishing me. Listen, is there an application of why we should read the Bible and that you will be nourished? Absolutely, that's one. But listen, if you read the Bible and walk away from it and don't do what it says to do, then do not think I am better off than those who haven't read it. I'm not better off. I'm still malnourished. Because why? The bread nourishes in the doing. We can't just say, oh, amen, amen, foster kids. And say, oh, mm, 1130? Interest meeting? Ah, it's not a good time. I won't beat the Baptist to the buffet if I go to the interest (laughs) meeting. You may be full, but you'll leave malnourished. Why? Because you haven't done. The will of God. You haven't taken the word of God. See, the word of God is not only informative, it is instructive. In it's step by step. God's saying, this is what you do. He says, pure and undefiled religion is ministering to widows and orphans. You don't even have to think about it. God set his approval on it. But when God gives you a word and says, hey, this is what you do, and confirms it in his word, you do it. You don't just say, oh, I'm glad somebody's doing it. You see, in order to step into God's plan, you've got to realize I'm going to be nourished when I'm living it. I'm going to be nourished. God's going to surround me with other believers. He's going to surround me with friends. He's going to surround me with like-minded people. I'm going to find a people to run with. In God, There may be some people who are around you now you don't need to be running with. You should let them go. And you need to find some spirit-filled folk who put Jesus first and say, I'm running after God. I'm running to prayer. I'm running into God's word. And I'm going to live this out saying, God, I'm nourished. I'm fulfilled when I am living what you have called me to live in. Now, there are two key elements. I'll just give them to you quickly. It's in what Jesus said here. My food is to do the will of first him who sent me. You have to get comfortable with a new label. Are you ready for it? Sent by God. Sent by God. I am sent by God. Listen, if you are living in this county, coming to this church, you have been sent by God to Citrus County. You say, no, my job moved me here. Uh-uh. <laughs> that's just how God got you rebellious behind here. Because <laughs> you wouldn't have said yes otherwise. <laughs> no, that's how he got you here. You say, you say I, yeah, I can't believe that this is the place that God would send me. Why not? Because it doesn't have a Starbucks. i got to drive I'm 26 miles to get my pink drink. Praise God we have been sheltered from the cultural storm. So far, anyway. Uh, keep it up. We would like a Chick-fil-A, though. Okay. Yeah. We would like a Chick-fil-A. Okay. Just saying. We close the door on that We open the door to do other things. Okay. So you got to know I'm sent by God. I'm sent by God. Do you know you've been sent to this place? Do you know you've been sent in this time? Do you know? You say, you don't know me because God, I don't think he wants to put that label on me. And you're probably sitting next to somebody thinking to yourself, I know he ain't going to put that label on them. <laughs> then i sent by God. You know what you're doing? You're trying to pick a speck out of someone else's eye. And not dealing with the plank in your own. If you just get free of the plank in your own eye, then quite possibly you could come to terms with what God says about you, that you are sent by God. And then if you allow God to do a work in your life, you'll know, man, he can do it in anybody. I'm sent by God. And the second thing, you want to stay nourished, you got to know I have a part to play. He said, Jesus said, I've come to finish the work. What was that finishing work? I am to bring to consummation, to the very end, the old covenant. I am closing it down. It's going to die a dusty death. And I am launching all of humanity into a new era called the age of grace. The era of God's undeserved favor through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection, and all who place faith on him. Not only Jews, but Jews and Gentiles alike who place faith. He he says, I'm the One that's coming to finish his work, bringing the whole world into a new covenant. But you and I, who are believers, we're a part of the body of Christ, so that then we understand that in this age, we have part of his work to complete. You've got to know. God's plan for your life may not be, listen to me carefully, your vocation. That just may be what you do for a living. That may be your field of expertise. But God's plan for your life is to to move the kingdom of God through you while you're doing that that vocation. You need to to begin to come to terms with, I have a role to play, and I need to finish that work. And you'll be nourished. Now, let me give you a, a second thing about harvesters. Harvesters expect the unexpected. You're like, wait a minute, pastor, that's one of those oxymorons, jumbo shrimp moment in your sermon. I get it. But let's look at this. It says, do you, this is the words of Jesus, do you not say? He says, I'm not saying it. Do you not say it? There are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They are already white with harvest. Here, Jesus teaches us how to expect the unexpected. Expect the unexpected. That that doesn't mean, hey, by the way, I'm always thinking something bad is about to happen. It's not what that's saying. He says, I'm gonna teach you how to expect the unexpected. You say, how do I do it? First thing Jesus says here is you gotta lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. Will you please stop your endless self-examination? Will you please, if you're the person that says, I'm, I'm born again, I'm, I, Jesus has come into my life. Now, by the way, he didn't just come in so you could just have a good house and a good retirement and a good job and just keep to yourself and have no influence and no voice and no eternal fruit, have no prayer life and no meaningful connection to what God is doing in the earth. You're just looking at yourself and looking at yourself. Here's what God is saying, if you want to be a person who can live in the realm of expecting the unexpected, you got to lift up your eyes. Get them off of yourself. And here's here's how you can do that. Begin to trust God's work in you is enough. If you will lift up your eyes, you'll begin to see that there are others in need of his touch. There are others in need of his ministry. When you lift up your eyes, you say, God, I trust that you're going to help. You're going to free me. You're going to change me. You're going to work things in my life. And I'm not going to be this one who walks around living a mundane life, simply focused on myself. I'm going to lift up my eyes. And then he says this, look to the fields. This means this. If you're going to be, you've you got to look for opportunities. You've got to look for opportunities. Well, what does that mean? Look for opportunities. Have you ever had those moments that just arise out of nowhere? Like, how did that just happen? I wasn't planning that. God, you just opened a door and I walked through it. And I live looking for opportunities. Here's what everybody is saying there. He says, do you not say there's four more months have you ever heard somebody saying, Oh yeah, no one's getting saved these days? You know what you're doing? Looking at self. Your eyes aren't up and they're not looking at fields with the possibility of God doing something supernatural or something unexpected. I'm here to tell you and announce to you, church, this is harvest time. This is the time of harvest where God begins to move and you need to set your eyes on fields that you think, well, I don't know if anything can come out, but I'm gonna expect the unexpected. I don't know. I don't know if what God can do in my family in the next couple of weeks, I'm gonna expect the unexpected. I don't know what God is doing in our school. but I'm going to expect the unexpected. How? I'm lifting up my eyes and I'm looking for an opportunity. I'm looking for an opportunity. And then notice what he says. This is is how we live this way. He says, the fields, here's the terminology he used, white for harvest. Now, you know... My wife, you may not know this, you should know this, my wife is dipped in Mississippi mud. She came up out of the ground there in Mississippi. I asked her this question. I said, honey, if I said the fields are white with harvest, what's the only thing that's white at harvest time? cotton Good answer By the way, just want to let you know outside Samaria they were not growing cotton. And this word in the Greek sometimes in in in, in other versions of the Bible you'll you'll get the word ripe. That's Not the word. The word in Greek directly is white. The fields are white with harvest. When you recognize that the fields are white with harvest, you start looking for unusual grace. Remember how I said there are two things happening at once? There's this interaction with Jesus and the disciples, and there's this woman preaching in Samaria. And Jesus says, listen, I know what you say, I know what you believe, it's not harvest time. He says, but I want you to look back at the opportunity. And the men of Samaria, of Shechem, when they would work the fields, all of them would don a white turban. This woman is preaching in Samaria to only the men, by the way, because probably the women are still ticked off at her. She'd been through a few guys in the village. Read the Bible. It's so good. And now she's living with a guy. Not good. She goes back and she preaches to the men, probably the only audience she could. Jesus begins to teach his disciples about how to live expecting the unexpected. And he said, listen, you're looking at me. You're looking at yourself. Your eyes aren't on the fields. Look right now. And here come the men of Samaria walking through the fields with white turbans. These were the men who were coming to figure out who Jesus was. You have to get to the place where you realize, wait a minute, in this moment, I think there's an unusual grace. There's an unusual opportunity. And I believe right now, Calvary Church, we are in one of those moments. It's a harvest time where there are people who are trying to figure out, is Jesus real? I've heard stories about this woman and boy we know her past. And she came in preaching and now many people are saved. But here I've got to come see for myself. Perhaps you came today on the testimony of one or two telling a story of how their lives were transformed by Jesus. And you find yourself in this moment of presence going. I I feel an unusual drawing, an unusual grace to surrender to God. That's where. And if you're going to live as a harvester, you've got to expect the unexpected. You've got to look for unusual grace, unusual opportunities where God opens a door. I remember one time a few years ago where God opened a door for me to to hold a meeting at at, at Colorado uh, University, in Boulder, Colorado University. And and here we are in the science building of all things, and they give us this little place, and we're we're going there to do ministry with this little campus club, and we, begin to minister and worship and the presence of God hit that place and people begin to weep. People begin to repent and give their life to the Lord on college campus. Listen to me. On college campus during class. It it, it was so overwhelming what was happening in the room. it, it It garnered the attention of one of the science professors who had probably 300 students in his classroom. He came in, peeked in and was like, oh, Okay, okay, and he backed away. What he saw was people weeping and kneeling in this tiny classroom. I want to tell you, I could have never, ever manufactured a moment like that. I could have never made it happen. But when God said, hey, there's an opportunity to go and to worship and to preach the gospel in a classroom on on CU Boulder, I said, I'm in, God. And I don't know what kind of unusual grace God has for you. But I'm telling you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, and find the unusual favor of God. Opening doors to share the gospel. And here's what you'll find. You'll find that the fields are filled with people who say, I want to find God. I'm here to tell you the church is expanding right now worldwide at a rate it never has before. The church is growing worldwide. Listen, in America, it's barely keeping up with the population. But I'm here to tell you, Calvary Church, we're gonna be different. We're gonna be different. And if, this, and if this county grows to the glory of God, so will the kingdom of God. We're going to see a mighty harvest of souls, people living for God. We're bucking the trend because, God, we say, we're gathering around your presence. We're gathering around your word and all other agendas. They mean nothing to us. We want the kingdom of God. We want the presence of God and the power of God, which is able to transform lives. You look for unusual grace. There was a man named Philip in Acts chapter 8. Boy, an unusual grace greeted him. He was the guy working the food pantry. One of those men appointed to serve widows. An unusual grace fell upon him in Acts chapter 8. And God's voice said, Hey, Philip, get up and go down to Gaza. This is desert. I've got something for you to do there. Do you understand that when God says go to the desert... That's an unusual place. You can't go to the desert expecting, wow, I'm going to see a sea of people. No one lives there. When he gets there, here's what he finds. He finds an Ethiopian governmental official, a eunuch who who was uh, overseeing the treasury of Ethiopia. He was a man of wealth. He was a man of position. He was a man of influence, but he was a eunuch. And this man was was headed back and he was reading a priceless scroll, by the way, a scroll of Isaiah. And the very place he was reading was all about Jesus. How in the world does a man named Philip get a word like, go to the desert where nobody is? He says, I know the voice will lead me to a place of unusual grace where I can expect the unexpected. And he goes there, finds the man, and he says, hey, do you know who he's reading about? Who is he talking about? The eunuch says, the eunuch says, I don't know who he's talking about. Explain it to me. He explains that Isaiah is describing Jesus. And this man, listen to me, who has money, has a position, has influence. And has scars. Scars. You say, what were his scars? His scars were beneath the pomp and circumstance. They were, it was beneath these flowing robes. He was a eunuch. He had been scarred in a way that robbed him of his identity. And Philip, following God, finding a moment of unusual grace, led the eunuch to a place where he was healed of a scar nobody could see. Here's what I want to tell you, church. Listen, sin always leaves a scar That only a savior can heal. It always leaves. Listen, listen. your your money can't heal your scars. Your position can't heal your scars. Your, Your influence cannot heal your scars. But oh, if there is a people who would proclaim Jesus and look for these moments of unusual grace, you will find that people get healed and find their true identity, which is to be sons and daughters of God when they receive Christ. The last thing I want you to see about this, these harvesters, is very simply this. Harvesters see lives changed by Jesus. You ever see lives changed? You ever see the ministry of Jesus change lives? Jesus says it here in in, in verses 40 through 42 in this interaction. It says, so when the Samaritans had come to him, white through the harvest field, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. And notice these words, and many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you've said, but because we ourselves have heard him and we know that this indeed is Christ, the Savior of the world. I've watched Jesus change lives in every nation I have ever been to. When the gospel is received by faith, it always changes lives, it works everywhere no matter the nation no matter the tribe no matter the tongue it works and our our uh, hope for every person here is twofold first that you would be changed by Jesus you are here in this room, and I believe God is giving you an opportunity to have your life eternally changed by Jesus. I've got good news. You would not be, you, you would not be it, all alone in that category. There are many people in this room who have had their lives completely transformed by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the presence of His Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? from the church if Jesus has changed your life. You say, these people look crazy. So did the woman at the well. You better believe you're going to look crazy. You're just going to be nourished. You're going to be used by God. And I believe that If you would open your heart to Jesus, you're going to see other people's lives changed by Jesus. And let me just say to the other folks in this room, perhaps you've already surrendered your life to Christ. Perhaps. And if you have, I wonder today after knowing that God has removed the labels and and given you a new name and and put his touch on your life and a, a fresh grace on your life, I wonder if you won't be the catalyst for what God wants to do in a region. I wonder if you won't be the catalyst for what God could continue to do. You see, you see, in this time, you know, we, we kind of view the Bible chronologically and we lay people out and we spread them all out, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, then there's David and Solomon, and, and then, you know, and then comes Jesus, and we're like, oh, that's spread out over many, many years. But when you understand geographically, these stories are layered into regions. These stories, they're not disconnected by time. They are connected by location. And if you understand that what you do in this hour in pursuing God's plan for your life could set the stage for something five years down the road, ten years down the road. Listen, you say, what if I do that and and suddenly I've got 20 people coming to church. Where am I going to put them? We're going to figure out that. Don't worry about that. If we'll live God's plan, he'll take care of all of the other plans. All of the other things will come together. But I wonder if God hasn't found a church and a people who says, I'll be the catalyst. I'll be the woman at the well. I'll be the one who Jesus has transformed. That I go and tell whatever audience God gives me. I'll be the catalyst for others to be changed by Jesus. As it came into this moment uh, a couple of weeks ago where I began to understand the, the kind of direction that the Lord wanted me to share, I want you to know, this is not a moment for you to say, wow, that was a great message. I want you to say, today I got my marching orders. Today I'm gonna start lifting. I'm going to start looking at the fields and I'm going to stop saying what everybody else is saying. I want to start saying what God is saying. There are people right now searching for God and they are headed our way. And I wonder, church, will we be a people who say, I've got the answers to what you're searching for. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus.